0: next chapter podcasts
1: hey everybody welcome back to how i got greenlit this is alex collegian again i'm coming to you from the headquarters in venice this will be pre-taped i will be on the road and uh, i'm going back to my old stomping grounds i'll be in new york and it's very cinematic it's still cinematic i love going this time of year because that fall light gets very vaulted very low uh long shadows very mysterious uh not freezing but not warm so you get the cool fashion uh you get the nice coats come out you get the scarves the new york scarf game is always on fire it's crisp it's that nice weather if uh, if I'm lucky there'll still be some some leaves blowing around it just has that light fucking Edward Hopper you know the brights are brights and the darks are darks and the melancholia just ensues anyway why are we here why are you here why am I here well I feel like this is just I'm I'm like a I'm like a lighthouse captain like I sit in my chair do my shift make sure that you know the ships get there on time the ships being incredible guests like Mark Guggenheim uh he was here last week he's here this week you know the classic example of uh, a guy who's too busy for this shit but and so he gave me an hour because he's a nice guy and then uh had to delay. <laughs> he, he was having so much fun he delayed some some big hollywood meetings so I, I we appreciate that mark thank you um totally worth it uh had so much to share so much to add so much to elucidate us with and and he was you know, he was game i mean he put up with my bullshit, which is always appreciated it's a pleasure to talk as, as i've always said i'm a man who likes to talk to a man who likes to talk and he's got great stories and he tells him well and you see that that's a thing for people like mark because i'll make a guess the gift of gab is a natural thing for him and that translates into the law and that translates into writing you know i guess in his case it it translates into you know 794 hours of uh you know fun and excitement for the whole family um on major networks and thousands of movie theaters and streamers and the biggest, you know, Star Wars, people let him play in the Star Wars world and the Warner Brothers, people at Warner Brothers let him basically, you know, take the DC universe out for a spin, you know, every now and again when he's feeling Randy. So he must be doing something, right? And that's what we're trying to get it to is how do you do that? Like, how do you be creative when you got like 10,000 people on your shoulders that all your their careers rely on your skill not to mention the stock price of the studio that will fire them and on and on not to mention the fans like how do you you know and for him it's definitely because he's actually a real fan and we talk about that it's it's not uh a gig it's um here's a guy who his very first job in the business was, uh, Marvel, the original, uh, publisher of Marvel comics in New York and read them all and collected them all and still does and, and knows his shit. And we talk about that because in his line, I mean, look in our business, let's be honest, you know, uh, existing IP, uh, is, is king and queen and court jester. And so if you have that ability to not devalue a franchise, but actually add to the canon in a positive way, well, you're a hero. You're a hero, creating heroes, perpetuating heroes, being heroes. And in this case, it keeps them coming back for more. And you're making not just green arrow, green lantern, you're making green. For them for you and it's a good feeling because uh you know say what you want about pre-existing ip and i certainly have and i certainly will but it's a thing where mark's done a ton of original stuff too that's not all he does it's just that when you get one that you love yourself that you actually collected and you, you maybe you've had a story to tell since you were a little kid and you get to do it that's pretty goddamn awesome so great 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 talk with mark guggenheim and he gives us a lot of time he's very generous and i appreciate that um and he and you know he brings his b-side which is a uh, he truly got the assignment he picked uh b-side the paper 1994 ron howard Here's the good news mark had so much to say and so many interesting projects that i wanted to know about that we had a choice like he was already two and a half hours over and he's like well what do you want to do you want to talk about ron howard do you want to talk about me and i said i want to talk about you and he said okay i want you to listen closely because we get into this is as close as i feel that you know that i've gotten to the what my quest has always been which is What is the secret sauce? What is the secret formula? Keeping your self-confidence, persevering through good and bad, triumph and and travesty, and just having a positive mental attitude. Now, you could say, well, I'd be fucking positive and mental if I was Mark Guggenheim, all right? If I'm driving a goddamn gold-plated Rolls Royce to the studio that's named after me, let me tell you something. I'm going to be in a goddamn good mood, all right? But, he, well, first of all, he doesn't swing it around like that, but I'm saying he's very successful and he's done a lot of great things, but... it's not one begets the other I know a lot of very successful wealthy people that are miserable I'm talking about inside the mind of Mark Guggenheim is a calm voice saying you got this and I'm starting to think that's the real secret thanks for joining us enjoy I'm Alex Collegian this is how I got greenlit You had reached that that moment where you're like, um, maybe I need to be my own boss, right? Maybe I need to create my own show. Yeah.
2: So so what happened was I I was like a supervising producer and I
1: which just for the folks at home, that's a mid-level, that's you're, like you're, mid-level you're moving like. Up it the right
2: yeah. it's right below CoEP. It's right below co executive producer. Which is
1: like you know. real management. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah. And I I basically I knew I, I knew I wanted to try my hand at creating a show, but I, I also knew that I didn't want to create a show or try to create a show before I had the enough experience that I could ru- run it myself. I didn't want to like create a show and then have someone else run it. So I, you know, so I like, I cycle off of CSI Miami and I am like, I'm going to take a year off from staffing and I'm going to write a spec pilot and I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to see if I can develop for a year instead of staff for a year. And while I was doing that, Greg reached out and Greg was like, I'm, you know, I'm working on a, 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 a pilot idea. Um, you know, it, it, the protagonist is a lawyer. Would you look at the pages I've got so far and give me your thoughts? And I of course say yes, because a Greg's a friend and also B like, I was doing that for a lot of friends, um, you know, if they had a lot characters. I was doing that for my Were wife. you
1: the go-to law guy? Oh, like, it. hey. You know, i mean, in my circle of friends. <laughs> Why not? You
2: know? so, so anyway, like, I, I, you know, I read Greg's pages, you know, which are absolutely brilliant and and incredible. And they, they were the, it was the embryonic version of, of what became the opening
0: scenes of Eli Stone. This is Eli Stone, high-powered attorney. He thought he had it all. Great job, cool car the perfect fiance until he heard the music it's
1: coming
0: from the living room Uh,
2: and he's like well i I want to collaborate on this with you and i'm like that's really sweet of you like but you don't have to like i'm like i'm i'm doing what i do for anyone i'll
1: give you some advice you don't have to I'm doing what i normally do like
2: for for anybody like you know no one asks me to partner up with them you know i'm i'm not that's you know that's that's not what I'm you know about and but, but Greg was really insistent. He's like, I was about to go off uh, and take a trip to Ireland. Um, and he's like, Look, you're going off to Ireland. Like, you kind of know where the story's going. Like, I'm gonna write these story. Like, I'm gonna write these scenes. You go like while you're in Ireland, write write these other scenes. And I, I I'm like, Sure, you know, anything for Greg. Um, and I go off to Ireland, and they actually like pour the fuck out of me like these pages, like literally like pour out of me. And um, I go back and I go to Greg's house and we swap pages and I'm reading his pages and he's reading my pages. And what becomes crystal clear to me is something really, really, really strange has happened. We are writing the same characters. Like, because there are some new characters in there in both of our pages.
1: So it's not disparate pages. It's, it's almost already there. Later. Yeah.
2: Like there's some new characters in there that like, you know, like, you know, Sam Yeager's character, for example, was not in any of the initial pages that, that Greg had shown me. Um, but was in the pages that Greg had written that i had written. And like, we were both writing the same guy and I'm like, oh, oh, I got to do this. Like, cause this is, you know, whatever's <laughs> happening here is, is too weird and special to ignore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that turned out, that turned into Eli stone and, um, we, uh, you know, a little bit of a victim of timing. I think we were a, a little ahead of ourselves, like ahead of the ahead of the curve, but also we premiered during the writer strike. Um, and, <laughs> due the, know, and due to the right, and due to the writer strike, we premiered at 10 PM. Um, the last thing this show was ever conceived to be was a 10 p.m. show, um, but the you know Steve McPherson, the head of ABC at the time, he's like, I want to put it behind Lost, which was on at nine o'clock, and like
1: good lead in.
2: Well, that Future was his hit. argument. His argument is like, look, there's no new material except for Lost. Like, we're going to give you this great lead in. But Greg and I were like, first of all, we shouldn't be on at 10 p.m. Uh, and but the one thing we didn't know was like. We didn't know this until the studio actually like conducted a little study. It turns out that after you've watched an episode of Lost, you want to do one of three things: you want to go online and talk about it, you want to go to sleep, or <laughs> you want to rewatch it. You know what you yes. don't want to do? You don't want to watch a show about a lawyer who sees musical numbers and George Michael. You just that's not uh, how it worked. Um, the funny so thing is, so it's a banana
1: split followed by like you know a, a, a pickle. Like it just yeah, it,
2: exactly. That's that's exactly it. It was just, but the irony is, is that, and again, it's sort of like you know, I'd love to visit the parallel universe where we aired at eight o'clock like we should have,
1: or you aired five years later when innovative, crazy, like sort of genre bending stuff was accepted much more wholeheartedly. Would you say yeah?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. So you know but it was again that was it was a great experience we brought over a couple people from Jack and Bob from Jack and Bobby both on the writing side and on the production side um you know uh we had a, a grand old time it was you know it was always a very challenging show cuz you know it had visual effects and it had you know these dance numbers and it had you know,
1: whimsy, oh, law, crazy like, it was, character. I mean, plot. Is, was crazy. Like, big ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was way way out there. It was,
2: um, but like you know, way out there. In I feel the way like if that, you
1: did it today, it would be like four stars. Uh-huh. Netflix great I think, hits, Yeah, know? I think I think it, it was, was it
2: was ahead of the curve. it was very much ahead of the curve. Um, and uh, and
1: also the luck and timing of this business, the strike.
2: Yeah, oh, the strike didn't just, help. All
1: these things have to come together. All those
2: things. I mean, you know, it, it was it was that's the thing is ABC made no secret of the fact that we were the ugly stepchild, and. Like to the point where like Greg and I were getting very annoyed. This is even early on, like during the pilot, like Greg and I were getting very annoyed, just like how, quite frankly, like you know, disrespectful, you know, the show was getting treated and Greg and I are flying back from a casting session in New York. Um, and he's like, you know what? Screw this. Like, obviously we're going to do Eli if it goes, but like, you know, we're not, ne- we're never going to get the love we want from ABC. Like the, the you know, what we should do is, is, you know, do our own thing. And he's like, and I've got an idea for doing a movie based on Green Lantern. Are you with me? Um, I'm like, and I heard on the, on the transcontinental flight, I heard Greg's pitch for Green Lantern, which was basically, you know, Star Wars meets Lord of the Rings meets superheroes. And it was incredible yeah, and totally. epic and awesome. And um, all the things, the ultimate movie didn't turn out to be, um, but, uh, but he,
1: did someone meet with someone and they said, do you have a take or was this him saying, I love this character? Let's go pitch. Uh,
2: no, he, uh, Greg is friends with Donald DeLine, line who had the rights, who was controlling the rights at the time. So he knew, you know, he knew what was and what wasn't being done with the character. So he knew that there was an opportunity there. You know, I think they had just like, you know, uh, they had just, sort of hit a dead end with whoever they were developing with, you know, so he knew that there was a, a window. Um, and, uh, and, and, Greg's like, I want to do this with Michael Green, who is one of the writers on Jack and Bobby and Everwood. Um, and has obviously gone on to write incredible, amazing things like Logan and Blade Runner 2049 and the Poirot trilogy. Um, but like, you know, we, it was the three of us, like, you know, writing, you know, our little hearts out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a famous, uh, so that's, that's an interesting, uh, natural segue into, oh, let's try film. Well, that's and of course thing. you try a yeah. film that is well, so let's say controversial uh, on in the landscape of pop culture, but, but I'm glad you listen, listen, this is what I'm talking about is like, if you look at the pedigree of the property and the makers, you're like, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Well, yeah. And then it just, for some reason, the gestalt, it just doesn't, the pH balance is off and it just doesn't work.
2: Well, the thing I like to say is, you know, they
1: basically, you
2: know, Greg was supposed to direct it. And I will tell you, like, we we got deep enough into prep where Greg had like prevised like one of the key sequences. And that it was, by the way, that previs is still better than anything you saw in the movie. And, and then, and then something that I don't blame Warner brothers for. I I, I actually think it's very reasonable. (laughs) basically um, Warner brothers woke up one day, literally like woke up and was like, wait a second. um, We're going to give a $250 million movie to like three TV writers. And, and one of them is going to direct like, (laughs) that's crazy. So they, they removed Greg as director and they brought in Martin Campbell and they brought in a, uh, they brought in a, um, a feature writer to, you know, to rewrite the script. Um, <laughs> to, to and, it up. you know, and, and it, when I read that draft, I was like, and by the way, like you can, you can read our first draft, like online. It's, you know, as I like to tell people a, a very simple Google search will surface it in two seconds. Um, but like when I read, you know, Michael Goldenberg's draft, I was like, I I called up Greg and I'm like, okay, well, here's the thing. Like, this could still be a good movie. This this is not a script for a bad movie necessarily, but a lot of the work that we were doing on the page in terms of heart and character, um, all that's gone, and it's gonna it's up now to the director to bring that out in the performances. So again, still still possible, but
1: what what um, they call execution dependent. very execution
2: dependent. And I love Martin to death, but he never understood the property. Um, and he didn't, you know, he'd never done visual effects of that scale. Um, you know, uh, one day I will find and kill the person who suggested, uh, a CG costume. And I can say as an attorney, no jury in the land will convict me. Um, that's, that will be justifiable homicide. Um,
1: and but again, uh, you're ahead of the curve. And I'm going to give you two of them. One is every freaking show, especially it's talking about RDJ, is all CG costumes now. Every cape you see is all CG. And the Russo brothers were a couple of TV guys yeah. who they gave the Avengers and Captain America. Yeah. So none of that was wrong. You were just 10 years too too early.
2: We were right? We were a bit too early. We were a bit too yeah. early. And the funny thing is, is like you know so I, I come home so by this point um i have i i'm i'm also like breaking into features um and part of that is because green lantern created opportunities and relationships within warner brothers but the other part of it was i was kind of seeing where tv was going i was realizing I don't know if my voice is right for network anymore. I don't know if I really want to write for network anymore, but at the time, if you wanted to be in premium cable, you had to write an anti-hero. Like it had to be Breaking Bad or The Sopranos. And I'm like, and, <laughs> well, that's and not- the, It
1: was The Shield, by the way, it was and the, the Shield that started that, right? Like,
2: yeah. So like yeah. I'm not like so I'm sort of feeling like, like you
1: don't strike me as an antihero guy. You're I'm not. That's the thing. Funny. So I'm literally guy. looking
2: yeah. at the TV landscape, going, like, uh... "There's nothing for me to write. I have right. to start diversifying." Um, and and that's why I got into features.
1: Really, just features. Yeah.
2: The, the same way, like a good a good financial advisor will say, "Buy bonds as well as stocks." Um, you know,
1: <laughs> right? So you're hedging against. i TV That's taking I'm hedging a and, and, Yeah, and really sort and of that's using smart.
2: features to wait out what wait, out was was a period that i knew was temporary like i knew at some point you know i didn't know the streaming was coming but i knew at some point like no, not every westerns
1: come back and yeah, sci-fi not, not comes Yeah not every network, cyclical yeah you know,
2: not every non-network show not every network show is going to be like a procedural and not every non-network show is going to be an anti-hero there's going to be you know tv i want to write again um
1: And you're also benefiting from two things. You've got a track record. Your agent is very happy with you. You bought him his hot tub, whatever. And you're also benefiting from a time of the business when the walls are really crumbling and gone, which is, you're a TV guy. Don't talk to me about features and all that, which we were seeing that at the very beginning of our careers, right? The late nineties, two thousands, you're either this or that. Don't even ask, you know, and now it's like you have the benefit to do it. So why wouldn't you, right? You just want to tell stories.
2: But I saw a a screening of a rough cut of Green Lantern and I came home and I told my wife, I've got six months to book as much feature work as I can because (laughs) I'm like, no one will ever hire me for a movie after this movie comes out.
1: And and by the way, let me just say this. I want people to understand this. Martin Campbell directed Casino Royale, arguably one of the top five James Bonds of all time, oh, right? Easily. Golden Eye. Fucking great, Legend of Zorro. Fucking great. The guy knows what he's doing. Yes, does. within certain parameters. Yes, it, and 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 Mark, you and I know this intimately because we've had long conversations about the the difficulty of developing and portraying live action versions yeah. of beloved pre existing IP. Yes, Green Lantern has been around forever and ever. What the forties or thirties, maybe. Yeah, and there's so much. Which is great because it's a rich vein and also very challenging because you're, you're, you're crushed under the weight of that uh, promise and that sort of uh, legacy. Right. So, uh, and I want, let's not get into all the mishigas of that, but on paper, you know, you might, there might've been a moment where you're like, well, my buddy's not directing and he's also the writer. So, eh." but Martin Campbell, Hey shit, man, he's fucking awesome. You know what I mean? So there's a moment you're like, well, this guy does action, you know? So, oh no, we were super excited. Hey, is it, oh, this is Martin
2: Campbell coming off of Casino Royale, like literally coming off a, of Casino Royale. Right? Like, so, Which yeah. was
1: the reboot of a, I oh, would say a, like sort of a, a, a kind of, Tired property, yes. right. Oh. He had brought it back. It, I mean, know?
2: seriously, like you know, yeah, I, yeah, I think Casino Royale is like in the top five, maybe even the top three Bond
1: movies. Honestly, like, I would say that as well. You know, so I, say, I, I just don't know how you feel about him after Green Lantern, but I, I would oh, say, oh no, look, I love, sure. I, I love Martin. I, I love, I would say, just... definitely number one non Sean Connery. Let's just call it that for sure. There, um, right. yeah,
2: but like you know, it, it just. Unfortunately, you know, Martin was out of his depth. I think he'd be the first to admit it. And, yeah. you know. Yeah.
1: It's um, a different tone than James Bond. It's, different, it's got, like you said, you know? it needs heart. You can't have all those uh, special effects, sci-fi. I mean, it is that. It's a it's mix hard. of superhero, sci-fi, magic almost, right? Arguably. It's a hard um, property.
2: It's, it's a and you got to, if property.
1: you can't, if you can't own that character the rest, it just as we see it, it, it doesn't. There's nothing to hang it on. It's just no. a bunch of
2: stuff. That's Spectacle, that's ex- right? exactly exactly it. So so, yeah. so that's
1: an interesting point. Is so in in this business, you have a window, right? And I call it the Schrodinger's yes. cat career moment, yes. which is a thing will come soon. It's been announced, it's in post, it's whatever, whatever. It's at a stage that it's not released to the general public. That is your time. Because if it comes out in a hit, fine. You can take a meeting the next day, you're a hero. If it comes out in a bomb, you're fucked. So you have X amount of days, weeks, or months where – it's 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 percolating. It's coming. Uh, the posters are up. The 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 billboards are on the uh, are on the bosses uh, the studio yeah. boss's way to work. So all of a sudden you are limitless potential, and they want to be in the Mark Guggenheim business, right? That's right. So you're very smart to say, "I got six months. Let's make it happen," right?
2: Um, no, that's that's exactly exactly it.
1: What a joy, this is a biggie. If you like the mark episode, there's more where that came from, from all kinds of interesting thinkers, filmmakers, writers, directors, admin, reality creators, just storytellers. I mean, that's the, that's the commonality. They're all from different things. It's storytellers because they're telling us their story. Uh, and mostly that story is about telling stories so if you like being told stories if you like learning about stuff how stuff works how it all went down you'd love this episode because you may not have heard of him but you've heard of his work and you he has made has major, major repercussions uh on our industry jamie Petrikoff, producer of many incredible films including one of my favorites place among the pines He talks about working with Ryan Gosling. And I think that's one of his finest films, one of their, both of their finest films. And that's kind of what we want to talk about is like, what is the genesis of all these things? Where does a Ryan Gosling come from? Well, he's certainly talented, he's a handsome guy. He's got a lot going for him. But Jamie Petrikov, it takes people like that, belief. And he had faith in this little movie that no one believed in, but, jamie believed in it he believed in ryan in the role and god damn it if it didn't work and they both got well and then years later they did it again because i've always said i love hearing these stories where they get a good film together and they do it again because it's hard to you know recreate the magic but they actually did it check it out jamie patrick
0: the ultimate you know uh the uh, way the content got out to people was sort of less important than trying to figure out what the best way to uh, tell a story was. And I think that's really what, what the defining factor is, you know, in how we develop and how I've always developed is, okay, we have a story. What's the, what's the best version of it? Is it a movie? Is it a limited series? Is it an ongoing series? Is it a documentary as a documentary series, and then okay, how do we, how do we actually then execute that? And you might say, listen, I don't see there's a, there's there's no real way to execute the ongoing series version of this. It has to be a limited or or vice versa. And then you sort of say, okay, well, can you still accomplish the best version of that in a different format because it's going to be there's a better roadmap to getting to the finish line
1: for that and many more great clips, great episodes, great insights. Please check it out, howigotgreenlit.com. Now let's get back to Mark Guggenheim. We've talked a lot about your career coming up and then starting to uh, be your own creator. I um, There's a whole five-hour show that I would just call the DC years. (laughs) I mean, you guys No, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Like I would say the second name after Greg Berlanti, that's mentioned in the sort of ad, the the successful and sort of fan favored adaptation of DC properties on television would be you, you you and he, uh, uh, you know, starting with green arrow, well, excuse me, arrow, but Mm -hmm. you know, the, the green arrow adaptation called arrow uh, that, I think you just hit on the grounding, the fantastical, but grounded character, you know, but respecting that comic book plots can get fun and out there because that's the whole fun of it. Like, don't, don't make me so street level that I could have just watched a show about a guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you, you hit that tone that was just right, um, you know, I, I, I I love who you got for Arrow. I just, everything about the, the, that first show. And then I guess you found the, the, you know, as they say, the secret sauce and, you know, rinse and repeat as you went into the bigger shows and the bigger casts and the bigger ideas and the bigger, I'm um, hopefully bigger budgets, but it looked like <laughs> they were not that much bigger <laughs> um, or even that bigger. Uh, yeah. Or maybe, or maybe the system got, you, your people got so good. They were able to get more hash out of the same, you know, potato or whatever. Well,
2: right? I, I appreciate that. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, the the original take for Arrow was Greg. You know Stephen Amell was cast by David Rappaport. David Nutter directed the pilot. You know I, you know I, I think the thing that, you know, I don't even know really sort of what I really brought to the party. Um, you know I'm I'm I know how to produce things like I that's I know I I know how to get at like every dollar possible onto the screen. Like I'm I'm good with like the logistical stuff, but the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, had, um, had I not been around, um, that I think the shows would have been every bit as successful as they were. Whereas I can't say that about if David Rappaport hadn't been around, David Nutter hadn't been around, you know, Stephen Amell hadn't been around, Greg Berlanti
1: hadn't been around,
2: you know, I, I'm the one piece of the equation that I think you can remove and the equation holds up just fine. Um, well, that's, know, the rest, that's he doesn't- probably
1: nice of you. That, that is very respectful and nice of you to say, but mm-hmm. I think it's also when you look at a team and a sports metaphor, it, it's easy to go, oh, that guy shoots more three-pointers than anyone in the league, but it's usually the all-arounders that mm-hmm. almost rise the team's quality right? They're not necessarily heroic because they're the absolute God. Yeah. yeah, I I think like not Not everyone is all arounders are required. And you said early, very, I think it was the first thing you said, I'm a Jack of all trades, master of none. Being a showrunner, that is the job. No,
2: I think so. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, I always say like being a showrunner is a little bit like being the CEO of a company um, with the difference being that you're, you're not just managing, you're also doing stuff like to, to mix metaphors. It's, it's like being a player coach, um, to use your, your, uh, you know, sports analogy. It's like you are, you're coaching, but you're also on the field. Um, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm writing and I'm in the room breaking story, but I'm also like figuring out how are we going to balance the budget for this, you know, this crazy episode that's gotten out of control. Um, but, uh, you know, I always say like, it's not rocket science. Um, I think anyone could have done my, you know, my job, Um, you know, but I was super glad, you know, for the experience and the opportunity. I got, I got to meet a lot of wonderful people. I got to work with a lot of wonderful people and I got to, you know, scratch that 10 year old, you know, in me, uh, that that itch, like, (laughs) right. The kid
1: that the kid at Marvel comics that gets to like make it come alive. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
2: I always say like, I work for 10 year old me, like I I take a gig because 10 year old me thinks it's cool. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. not because 10 year old me thinks it's gonna, you know, be successful or, you know, I, I mean, truth be told, like, we didn't think Arrow was going to be successful. Um, you know, we, we weren't even, we weren't even
1: striving for success, but we were. Well, was really it su- that Eli Stone feeling? Were you guys no. like, oh, it looks like another Eli Stone boys. Well, like, make it good, but it, it won't be around. Here's the thing. Here's
2: the thing that Eli taught me. Like Eli premiered pretty well. And we actually held our numbers in the second week. Really, really well. In week three, we fell off a cliff and never recovered. <laughs> um, so like, you know when we premiered when arrow premiered like i was one of the only people not popping champagne corks because i'm like oh i've seen this movie before you know like you know it, it wasn't until we were in like the middle towards the like the the you know maybe around episode like 16 or 17 of of um of arrow where like okay, I'm like, okay, I I trust the numbers are what the numbers are. And that's good. And they're, they're reliable. Um, but honestly, like we did a convention, uh, appearance, uh, at Anaheim for WonderCon. Um, and seeing that crowd and how enthusiastic they were, that was the, really the first time I was like, oh my God, this is, this, this is not another Eli Stone, you know, the, the, the ground is not going to fall out. Beneath <laughs> right. You
1: see a giant group yeah. of people screaming. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, it, so again, uh, tempered expectations. Your I'm always about the tempered to, expectations.
2: Yeah. I, you know, every time. Yeah. And part of that honestly also is every time I've gotten ahead of myself and like played that game, you know, in my head where I'm like reciting the Emmy speech, like that's, that, that's death. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's just never going to work out um so I, that's I,
1: okay but embarrassing the worst is when you put the down payment on the house and then <laughs> then the show well gets, doesn't get picked up
2: i know well my, that's why yeah i never do that i never i never like yeah. buy things in reliance <laughs> but
1: we know people that have oh my god
2: like i know so many writers who live beyond their means and yeah that's just i mean it's, i don't know that, that
1: that's, is an anxiety inducing it life. is yeah.
2: um and I, I i'm very much like You know, I'm, I'm very much like, just gotta, you know, just gotta put in the work, you know, um, like just, put your head down and just do the work. Um, and, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know? Um, but I've, like I said, I've had a lot of therapy to get me to this point (laughs) and a lot of failures too. Like, I mean, so many, so many failures.
1: Uh, and, and that's more what I was saying is that the, 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 Eli stone experience. Cause as you said, it was a lot of the same people. Um, it, now, if correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that the birth of CW was that show was that when WB rebranded, that was the first big oh, uh, foray was arrow. Yeah. so. There was a little wind you know in what, your sails for that. Right.
2: Oh, you know, here's the thing. It wasn't, it had, it's funny. I, no, it the C, It became the CW. I remember the year before Eli Stone and the way I remember that is, I was working on a show and I walked into a production meeting and I said that, "Oh, they just announced that Warner Brothers and UPN are going to combine. And it's going to be called the CW." And literally, everyone laughed at me. They thought I was. They thought I was joking.
1: You're like, I'm you like made a joke. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, guys, yeah. it's
2: really <laughs> called the CW. More
1: like, letters. <laughs>
2: yeah, like uh, they, yeah, no one believed me. Um, but uh, so this was a, I, what what it. So CW had been around for a number of years by the time Arrow came around, but it was all under Don Ostroff and 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 That's all it. their shows were like Gossip Girl, you know.
1: Yes, it was very youth oriented. They were very, very clearly going for a Dawson's Creek network. Basically, yeah, like
2: right? like very sure. soapy, very female driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mark Pedowitz took over. And the thing about Mark is Mark, uh, Greg, and I worked together, uh, on Eli when Mark was head of ABC studios. So, um, you know, so we had a shorthand with Mark, which, which was great. Um, and also like the, the way Arrow came about was, was it, it didn't go through the normal development process. Um, you know, basically what happened was, Greg had gotten Peter Roth excited, Peter Roth headed up television at Warner Brothers at the time, and he'd gotten excited, him excited about a Green Arrow show. But then Green Lantern came out and, you know, gets gets completely destroyed. And Greg and I look at each other like, do we really want to do another DC character? Do we really want to do another DC character with green in the name? I mean, how dumb are we? (laughs) But, But Peter wouldn't let it go. I mean, Peter literally called me. Like, I'm like, what are you doing calling me?
1: Is that why you dropped the green? No, <laughs> and you just no, called it, it well, a little bit. I was mean, it a like being, bit, like superstitious. Originally,
2: <laughs> originally the series was going to be called The Hunter. Um, oh wow! You know, we were we, you know we, we were like we have to work up to the name Green Arrow. Um, Way
1: downplay um, it, it, but like yeah, downplay. Yeah.
2: you know, so so basically, like you know, Peter lobbied us so hard to to do it that Greg and I like sort of got together and we were like, well, what would it have to look like for us to do this, and the first thing was like, well, it has to be totally secret. Like there's no, there's going to be no article in Hollywood Reporter. Like no one has, no one can know that we're working on this. Instead, what it's going to be is we're going to take two meetings. We're going to take a meeting with the studio. We're going to take a meeting with the network. We're going to pitch them the show. If they like what they hear, they are going to send us off the script. No, I did not say if they like what they hear, they're going to give us notes and then send us off the script. They're just going to, send us off the script. So we won't be doing a story area. we won't be doing an outline. And most importantly, we will not be getting notes. Um,
1: And just let, let me just uh, inject here. So just for the, for the listeners uh, in a television uh, paradigm, when you say studio network what you mean is the studio funds the the show and uh, at a loss initially and the network picks up the show and contributes to the budget but it's more a it's a group effort where uh, the way to think of it is the studios are are making the show and the network is like the distribution like a movie theater they uh, they they're, they're exhibiting it they're getting it out to the world and it's it's a it's a collaboration between those two entities all of, the, all of them betting on the long-term success where the money will start coming in the end of season one or season two, depending on how big and expensive the show is. I mean, we can get in the economics of it, but it has to. There's a lot of people that have to buy in to that notion, and and today that is going away. Today, the studio is the network. Netflix makes a show. There is a not a lot of conversation. Occasionally, a Warner Brothers will sell a show, etc. But more and more, they want you to bring the studio and the network are owned by the same parent company. And that's part of the challenge that the Writers Guild was having with their strike. The business overall is having. We're uh, we're in this period of um, everybody's buying everybody else until it's Disney and that there's five entities again, just like there were in 1930 when the the you know the trust uh, issues came up last time. Anyway, I just wanted to you know allow people to understand what is a studio, what is a network. All right, so you have to have buy-in from these people. And what's nice, Mark, that you kind of touched on is. Even though you're a creator and you're working with actors, working, you know, actually making the stuff and doing the cool whiz band, like here's the actual bow we're going to use and all the fun shit, you have to have a suit on your side that understands you and believes in your ability. And this guy can write, this guy can produce, this guy can direct. Okay, guys, here's millions of dollars. Don't let me down. Right. No, right. Uh, well, and that's an important relationship.
2: Very. And, and the nice thing is, is that, you know, Greg had a history with Peter Roth that went back to his days on Everwood and, and even Dawson's Creek. And Greg and I both had this, uh, like I said, history with Mark Pedowitz. So we had, we had those quote unquote suits on both sides of the network studio divide, which was great. I, you know, and, and they were willing to, to go with our crazy way of working, which is you, basically we're not going to let you guys develop this like you're going to get a script and you're going to either green light the pilot or not off of that script. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to develop this within an inch of its life, the way you do everything else. No, no offense. Um, Because the lesson we learned on green lantern was don't let this get out of our hands. You know um, don't, you know, like too many cooks, you know, like, you know, once, once, you know, once it got taken away from, from Greg, Michael and myself um, it, became what you saw. And we're like, you know, and I think it's just, it's an important lesson for any writer or, or filmmaker to know, which is, you know, you're going to have more failures than you have successes, you know, make sure the failures are on your terms, you know, go down on your vision. Like that's, you know, if you're going down, you know, just do it, do it, you know,
1: don't fail on a compromise. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Don't do that.
2: Um, It's it's believe me, it sucks.
1: So were you guys pouring over, you know, ten thousand issues of Neil Adams' run on, like, like what 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 was going on um, to develop in your minds to develop the proper adaptation of a Green Arrow television show?
2: I, you know, well, I like Greg. Greg is a big, you know, superhero fan, but I'm the one. I, I'm the dork, um, you know. And so I immediately said. You know when Greg pitched me his take, I'm like, oh, it's it's Mike Grell's Longbow Hunters and it's uh, Diggle and Jock's uh, Green Arrow Year One. Like that's that's the show. Um, like that that's what you just described to me is like these these two series are the proof of concept. Um, and uh, you know, and and we were also very heavily influenced by Chris Nolan nolan's uh batman trilogy um yeah you know the um, grounded the superhero, grounded the era, superhero the, yeah. and everything it, you know the challenge was how do you do that on a tv budget and a tv schedule um but uh you know but the
1: master studio that owned the dc universe was in a good mood and ready to start to get some more heroes out there yeah uh,
2: a little bit uh, not really I mean, it was,
1: it was a fight. Everything, <laughs>
2: everything was a fight in those days. Like, okay. it was everything was a fight. Um, I, you know, okay. I always say, like, DC owning a comp, I mean, sorry, Warner Brothers owning a comp company is like PETA owning a Burger King franchise. Like, for, for far too long, the studio was just embarrassed, you know, by what they have. Yes. And
1: for decades. For decades. Like, why I did mean, we buy we, this thing? We experienced I don't get that it. on
2: Green Lantern, yeah. you know, and I, I literally had someone at Warner Brothers say to me once, the only one of these characters I understand is Batman. Um, and it's like, okay, evidently well, that's, that's why
1: there's a thousand permutations of that one character out of the 10,000. thousand or, or
2: even why, when you see man of steel, Batman, you know, Superman's killing somebody. Batman's all, you know, yeah, lap, them, you know that, like
1: don't start. Let's not go down. But I'm just saying, right,
2: you know, yeah. that's just, you know, um, that that's,
1: and that's what we talk about a lot, you and I, is the like, uh, how much are you devoted to the the, the source uh, material versus how much do you need to, uh, it, it, let's not say make it your own, but uh, adapt it for a new medium. I think. Right? Or well, I think audience. before
2: you even get to that, you you got to ask yourself, do you like the thing? You know, do you <laughs> like it? Like. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, oh, because no. look, Kevin the Ke-
1: interviews where they're like, "I don't watch," car- who is it, Tim Burton? Yeah. I don't read. Like, comments, exactly, it's totally like right.
2: you know, like Kevin Feige is brilliant. Don't get me wrong; he's like a once in a generation talent. But yeah. it starts with the fact that he loves those he characters. Loves, loves that, show. and it yeah. shows. I can quote them, and yeah, yeah. and it, it and yes, like you need to be as brilliant as he is in order to pull off everything that he's pulled off, but he wouldn't be able to do any of that no matter how brilliant he is if he didn't love it in the first place. Um, that's the thing about these properties. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta love it. If you're coming at from a standpoint of like, I'll make this cool as opposed to, Oh, this is cool. You're dead. You just, you just dead. Right. Uh the audience. I'm going to take
1: this corny shit and make it cool. Uh, the
2: audience can tell like, look, here's the thing. Like there's, you know, that and that's very different from saying, I'm gonna take a property that was invented in the nineteen forties and make it appropriate for the twenty-first century. That's a different thing, you know, but like you gotta have a love for the essence of the character.
1: So you you finally felt uh you and by the way, the the, the good old days of a of a twenty-two episode order, right? So you're three. You're three fourths of the Okay. So you're three uh you're three quarters of the way through that season before you're like, oh, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, I think this is working. I mean, I think it was the, the like people like it, the studio likes it, the network likes it, I like it. You know, we're working. I mean, it, it,
2: it, it episodes two through eight all had reshoots. With with you uh, know, we didn't get until the mid season finale in one hundred and nine before we watched a cut. I remember, I'll never forget. Greg and I were in his office watching the cut together, and we like turned to each other like, "Oh my god, we don't have to do reshoots on this one." Thank God. Like, I mean, <laughs> it was so hard because we really were What
1: were those like? Were those more about the characters talking or was it fight scenes? Was Everything. it technical difficulties? It was, Everything. it was
2: like, it was like, you know, there was a lot of I remember there was a lot of discussion about like Steven's arrow voice. And like I literally flew up to Vancouver and I'm recording different. Um, different him doing different voices on my iPhone, and going back and playing them for everyone in Burbank, saying, "Okay, guys, this is it. Like, this is the go/no go point. You're picking a voice, and we're sticking with it. And that's the voice. Like, but then there was like, you know, there were there were times where, like, a scene didn't work, or there were times when we're just getting noted within an inch of our lives. That was a lot of it. Um, you know, there were times when. An episode wouldn't come in well, and you know something needed to be done. It, it was it was hard because we were kind of doing something that no one that no one had ever done in this period of television. Like you know, there had been action shows, there had been superhero shows, but you know, we're, we're a long ways away from even the X Files.
1: At this point, I would have said Hercules Xena. Yeah, like I mean, that was that last. Yeah. Like right? there's,
2: there's like a, a whole like generation of television has passed since, since the last comparable program. And like, you know, the, the hardest thing I think with Arrow was we, we really did have to invent a new way of, of producing a TV show um, because the system was not. You know the t- the broadcast system was no longer built for this stuff. Um, you know the audience's expectations in in terms of visual effects were were much 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 higher. Um, you know we it, it was you know it was like this can't look like Smallville like the you know this this you know the, the right. expectations Smallville were higher. higher the- um, so yeah. it was it was challenging. Like everything had to be like, and everything was you know. Guest and second guest by everybody, you know, like, you know, remember until season two, you know, Stephen didn't have a mask. So how did that work? And, you know, how is it, how do you make Laurel not know who he is without the, the, being an idiot? You know, the
1: charcoal and yeah. some like an implied mask. You know, yeah. and,
2: and what is um, that? Well, mean?
1: you also, you, yeah, no, just, and
2: what does that look like? How much charcoal? How much you know grease paint? Like, right.
1: and does it get in his eyes? Yeah, oh, wait, he can't see. Just, Take two. Um, well, so you're selected, but look at what you're doing. Uh, all right, I want to do a DC superhero. Let's do one that doesn't fly. Yes. Okay, good. TV TV budgets, yes. right? But then you have the the reverse challenge, which is. Well, what's his superpower? He shoots arrows. Well, it's also in the twentieth century, it, 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 the twenty-first century. You know what I mean? Like that's the. It, it's also the rub. How do you make it not corny? Well, right? it's I mean,
2: it's always how do you make it not that's corny? The
1: Hawkeye Green Arrow. I mean, it, yes, it's always
2: how you make context, it not corny. It but it's also like the more grounded the character is, the the less license you get from the audience. Like if you have a character who's flying. They're gonna go with a character who doesn't wear a mask, and you know, like you know, and just
1: puts glasses right, on to like hide it. You know, yeah, yeah. like they're in a. There's fewer bo- the
2: more grounded it is. The f- there's fewer audience buy-ins. Um, mm. You know, so there's that. There was also like just figuring out the flashbacks. I mean, like how much story can yeah. we tell? And by the way, I always said like Through the island. Yeah, well, I always mm. said like doing the flashbacks was like doing one and a half shows. Because it's a completely different cast with the exception of Steven. It's a completely different right. location, different costumes, different everything. Everything need and we also were like, how much story can we actually devote in an episode to the
1: flashbacks? And it But that was the secret for It no for it was, me, no, it was it. For,
2: for us too. It was just um really 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 hard um like it, it, it was a yeah challenge.
1: like you were trying to decide well which where where are we leaning yes right? As we're, saying, well where are we leaning yeah, and
2: how yeah. like you know just you know it, it, it was one of the harder aspects of the show and also like there was this network mandate like every single you know flashback had to relate to the present day and You know, that that was hard. That
1: was That's almost like Lost. It was like Lost. Except the island is the flat, right? You did Flip Lost, which is, we're here in present day in in America, but really we're flashing back. It's the other way around, right? And
2: and to take nothing away from Lost, you could have those connections between present and past because each of the flashbacks were their own self-contained vignettes. We were telling a continuous serialized story in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it just... Yeah, it was it was it was a it was just that first year was hard. That that first year was the hardest I've ever worked in
1: television. And then from there you're uh, or you know kind of back and forth. Obviously Arrow is the big the big guy. Uh the biggie by far, but uh Supergirl, Batwoman, The Flash uh and of course, you know, like Legends of Tomorrow, I mean how do you keep it all straight in your head? Well, like, was there? It helps. Is there a favorite one? Is Arrow like your de- beloved because it sort of started the journey, or did you end up loving? You know well, what I mean? Like, how do you? Here, here's the thing. Where do you
2: go? I, I well, it helps that I didn't really work on Supergirl, Flash, or Batwoman. Like, like you know, oh.
1: I, I <laughs> all right. Well, you got to pay. You got pay paycheck. i giving. <laughs> well,
2: I didn't actually. I didn't even get paid for those shows. Um, I I wasn't oh working on those shows. Like, I I, I became sort of as I, I became synonymous with the Arrowverse or, or mainly because I think the crossovers, because I ended up sort of taking the lead on the crossovers, um, really because like, well, a, someone had to, um, and B because like they, you know, when I say like I'm good at producing and stuff like those are like a logistical nightmare slash challenge. Um, and, I kind of dug that, like, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to figure out how, to, how to make this stuff work. Um, and, and that really, that to me was like, you know, the producing Olympics, like how do you get those, those things working? And, um, I, I think just as a result, I, you know, I ended up, I ended up being more synonymous with the Arrowverse than I probably, you know, have a, a deserve to be, um, you know, so I just
1: think it became, it. I mean, you could call it the DC verse because you had so many crossovers at a certain point. Yeah. I mean, you're calling it the Verse because that was the Genesis oh, no, show. I like calling it like the Arrowverse. I, I, it's really just the, well, yeah, <laughs> <I> do, <laughs> why yeah. not? Well, it's yours as opposed to, you know, but yeah, I mean, that was the best part because I think that's the key and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up in a second. That's the key to, um, I think the success of all those shows, but also, it credit you said well uh, it wouldn't have mattered if I was there or not. There's the secret sauce of you. Um, comic books, at least for me as a young reader, seventies, eighties, nineties, was um, about crossovers. Yeah, no, that's uh, the brave and the bold. Yeah. Marvel team up. And just any yeah, comic. that's what I grew up with. Yeah. Every third comic, Fantastic Four. Well, shit, Spider-Man's yeah. trying to steal our thing. And it was always about, oh, and it was always the same. Yeah. I'm going to fight you because I misunderstand what you're doing. Yeah. And then eventually we'll figure out our enemy is that other person that tricked us into fighting. Right. Right? <laughs> but classic, you didn't care because it was like, Formula. Human Torch versus Super Spider-Man, let's do it. Yeah. And, um, and so th- 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 that was something that, I think the problem with film and TV is because of the expense or literally the intellectual property rules and regulations, right? Especially you see this now with the Sony verse and the, and the Fox verse of the Marvel stuff is, well, we own Skrulls and you own, uh, uh, the, 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 the Sentinels and we own, it's like, come on, it's all fucking, I just want, you know, I
2: still think one of the greatest, just the greatest things to have happened, you know, in in recent memory is marvel's ability to use spider-man in the captain america and avengers movies like and, that and the, the ability of marvel it's to produce world. the sony spider-man movies like i mean like i i don't know i don't know maybe i'm just too inside baseball but like that's So impossible. I still don't know how the hell that worked out. I mean, it, it makes sense because it's a mutually beneficial arrangement, but how many mutually beneficial arrangements ever work in Hollywood? How many mutually beneficial arrangements ever triumph over the competitive spirit of, of Hollywood studios? Um,
1: and not only that, when the synergy is a four-letter word, yeah. I'm not even talking about Sony versus Marvel versus Disney. I'm talking about Sony Division A versus yeah. Sony Division it's, B. I mean, like from the outside in, you go, oh, they'll probably all work together. No it, fucking way. My yeah, P&L and exactly. his P&L, like, fuck like, yeah. yeah.
2: Who's going you know, to be responsible for this? And who's going to be responsible for that? Who gets yeah, to take so credit? Yeah, so I
1: want the win and none of the yeah. loss. Yeah, and like, all that. So. I mean, America. I just to, to sum it up, I would say the individuals, right? It's Kevin Feige having enough juice to call Tom Rothman, for example, which I have no idea if that call ever took place. But probably it was an individual to an individual saying, hey, man, we're all going to get well.
2: I, it's funny. I don't even... Right? Yeah, I agree with that. I wouldn't say it was that Kevin had juice. I think it was like... Kevin has a Steve Jobs quality. Like Steve Jobs was able to pick up the phone and get all the music companies to like, you know, move in the same direction. And like, and ever since Steve Jobs died, like... Apple hasn't been able to make, doesn't
1: quite work it, as it, good. It, Apple
2: hasn't been able to make those deals, <laughs> and like I think if there's anyone else
1: or make good make good technology anymore. I don't know. There's some like stuff. groundbreaking. So, I mean, uh, there's some. It's stuff. very iterative. It you can have a iterative. separate debate. Yes. No, think, that's, that's you know. Fair it used to be like, whoa, yes. well, look at this crazy quantum leap forward. Now it's like, hey, this one has a green. Yeah. One. Like gold and pink. That's true. Like you know. Anyway, this has been spectacular. Thank you so oh, much. What for a, what a treat. Um, I feel like that we'll call this part one of ten. You're amazing. Uh-huh. You got a lot of great Thank stories, you. and I would say for the most part, double plus good is your attitude. Oh, your thanks. your because you're not sunny, unrealistic. Yeah. You're, you're, you're saying, I can do what I can do, and if I work hard at that, then I know that I've done what I can do, and that's all. And the rest is out of my control, well, right? I, A very pragmatically optimistic attitude, which is great. My,
2: my, thank you. My, my wife and I um, only had two kids because I spent the uh, college tuition of the third kid that we didn't have on therapy
1: well it was my money well spent and also having two kids i would say only <laughs> jesus Fair enough. Fair enough. enough. Um, cool. all right thanks so much guys this has been uh mark guggenheim uh the most therapized uh-huh. man in hollywood but, that's good <laughs> i like that title that's but, good. Uh, yeah um and and also uh please. I'm not even kidding. I want to have you back and we'll just talk about how to work in animation games, comics, and everything else. Like there's gotta be, you know, positives and negatives of, of, of trying to conquer, even though, you know, those characters and you become known as a, as a steward of the, the purest form of any given, you know, star Wars, DC, Marvel, you know, these people trust you because as you said, you're fide. you love it it's clear it comes off you know you don't have to wear a goofy fucking t-shirt to prove it you know it you love it and and, and that and that comes through it comes through your work it comes through talking to you and i think that's we need more people like you when you can you can smell it within the first 30 seconds of any adaptation oh this person thought they were too good for this uh oh yeah i
2: agree with that right i totally agree with that yeah
1: so anyway keep doing what you're doing this has been a real pleasure thank you so much man. No, thank you Ah, that's all I can say about that one. Ah, you always like when you go two plus hours and you both are like, there's another five hours left and they're, you know, so come back. We don't have to capture it all before the meteor hits. I mean, we got a good chunk. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with it, but I want more and we'll get more. You know let the guy make more stuff let mark go out and make his next show and then we'll talk about that and you know we'll get back to whatever david Caruso story wherever he wants to talk about i mean obviously the guy's lived a life and he's uh written uh many incredible shows and films and uh, produced and just done it all so we look forward to seeing more of it so we can talk about it some more the next time So thank you again, Mark. It was a real pleasure to have you. That was Mark Guggenheim. I'm Alex Collegian, and this, as always, is How I Got Greenlit. Please join us at How I Got Greenlit on Instagram, on X, on TikTok, because we're breaking it down for the chillins. This episode will clock in at 14 seconds on TikTok. That's what we were told to do. So it will be cut into 4,000 12-second chunks. So be sure to follow that on TikTok. Anyway, thanks for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Mark, you're the best. Appreciate all your time. All our guests, I really appreciate it. And most importantly, I appreciate your time. So I hope that this opus got you through your thank you card writing, doing your late taxes, cleaning out the garage uh maybe you were jogging maybe some repetitive task that you just needed a voice droning in your head for a certain fixed amount of time that's why i'm here but i get to talk to smart people and let them be smart and i just i'm slowly learning to shut the fuck up and get out of their way so it's been a real pleasure to talk to mark guggenheim thanks for coming thank you all for listening i'm alex collegian this is how i got greenlit